What comes to your mind when you think of the number 2 billion, with a B? What comes to your mind when you think of the word 2 billion, the number? Maybe money. Maybe that's how many times you feel like your team has lost lately. Maybe it's that's many, how many mistakes your husband or wife told you you've made. Could be lots of things. It's a big number. But today, that number is going to represent how many people have never heard the name of Jesus in the world. Two billion. Never heard his name. Don't know anything about who Jesus is. Two billion. It's a lot. But we are talking today about making the unknown God known. He's worthy to be known. We want to make him known. Paul's on a journey in Acts chapter 17, and we'll read that here in just a minute. But he says, he saw an altar which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, therefore I proclaim to you. You see, Paul is going to illustrate to us that what people and who people worship, it matters. It matters. Because Paul was just passing through Athens at this time on his way to Corinth. He was waiting to meet Timothy and Silas. But he knew it matters. And so something bothered him and he had to address the problem of worship. See, people's eternal destiny hangs on who and what you worship. Eternal destinies hang on that. Paul knew that he had to address this issue. And in this room, online, in our city, no matter who you are, we are all made to worship. And we worship somebody or something. And the question is today, who are you worshiping? Who am I worshiping? Is it Jesus Christ or someone lesser, someone else? It matters. The Almighty God of Scripture deserves to be known and He deserves to be worshipped by every single person He's created. So the question today is, what does it take to make the unknown God known? What does it take to make the unknown God known? And we're going to look at Acts chapter 17 and Paul's missionary journey to address that uh, question. So we're going to be reading in verses 16 through 21 at, at this time. So let's stand together as I read verses 16 through 21 of Acts chapter 17 in God's word. The word says, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who got, who worship God, as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. Some said, what is this ignorant show off trying to say? Others replied, he seems to be preaching of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus and said, may we learn about this new teaching that you are presenting? Because what you say sounds strange to us and we want to know what these things really mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. We'll stop there. Please be seated as I pray. Father, we're thankful to gather and worship today around your word. God, I pray that you would speak to us through Acts chapter 17. We're thankful to you for making yourself known to us, Lord. May we make you known to other people, Lord. So just um, may I hide behind the cross today, Lord. May you be glorified in all that I say and I do this day. May we respond to you appropriately. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. So the question, remember, is what does it take to make the unknown God known? Well, number one, we're going to look at, it takes a heart that is zealous for the passion 
and worship of God. It deals with our passion, okay? It takes a heart that is zealous for the worship of Almighty God because if we don't have a passion to serve and worship God, then the actions won't follow. We won't want to do anything about it. So it starts as a heart issue, first of all, in missions or anything related to missions. It's a heart issue. Did you notice in verse 16 of chapter 17? Look at it. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed. That word deeply distressed has to do with becoming angry or infuriated. That's a holy anger. You remember Jesus when he looked at Jerusalem and he wept. He wanted to reach out and they wouldn't have anything to do with him. It's the same type of holy anger and emotion that Jesus felt looking at Jerusalem. And now you see it in Paul's life because Jesus is in Paul's life. And Paul is now distressed because he's sitting there seeing a, a city full of people. And what was he so upset about? Was it a lack of amenities? He was on a mission trip. He said, you know what, I, I want this or I want that or that. It wasn't about that. It wasn't about traffic at the time. Could have been a bad place to, to, to go around in Athens at the time. Could have been lack of green space. Who knows what it is? None of those things disturbed Paul. What disturbed him most was what? Verse 16. It was full of idols. He looked out. And he saw all of these people and all these statues giving praise to a false God. A God that's empty, a God that can't provide anything for their lives, but but they think he can. And it just overwhelmed Paul at that time. And he's thinking, I've got to do something about it. And he does in a minute. But he was distressed. Holy anger bothered his life. See, Paul hated idolatry. There was one time in Paul's life where he was worshiping really the false God. He wasn't worshiping Jesus. He was persecuting Jesus. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But Paul loved the worship of God. And he had the view that is the biblical view that the God of the scripture must and needs to be worshiped by every single person that walks around. Not just some, everybody. He's worthy. Paul knew he hated idolatry because it robbed God of the glory that's due his name amongst all the nations. God's due glory and honor and and power and majesty. And that wasn't happening in Athens on a big scale. And it got to his heart. See, God's greatest concern today is his great glory among all nations. That's what, he's, that's what he's after, his worship in all nations. Glory do his name. John Piper famously wrote, missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Just think about that for a minute. Missions is temporary, isn't it? It's an activity that we go on, that we carry the advancement of the gospel through the message cross-culturally to folks because we share it because they need to be saved and know who Jesus is. It's temporary. There's no missions in heaven. And so we do it now while we can. And once we're in heaven, we worship Jesus and everyone together. Missions exist because worship doesn't. See, there were idols everywhere in Athens. In fact, there was a pagan writer who made a quote that said that it's it's easier to find a God in Athens than it was a man. That's how corrupt it was and how just prevalent false worship was. Openly, statues and different gods filled the city. Well, another question is, well, how did Paul come to the point where it bothered him so much? I think we can agree that it, it should bother us. Well, how did it come to the point where it bothered him so much? Paul encountered the true God. That's why. He encountered the risen Jesus Christ. If you look in in Acts chapter 9, you can read the passage of his conversion. Paul was persecuting Jesus. He was on his way to put Christians in prison 
And who showed up? It was a bright light, and he didn't know. He fell off the horse and said, what in the world's going on? And then he says, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. That was a life-changing moment for Paul. At that point, everything changed. He knew Jesus was real. He eventually gave his life to Jesus, and he began to follow Jesus and now preach Jesus. But he had an encounter with the living and true God. That's why it bothered him, because he knew Jesus was the one. He was the one. And the same in our lives today. We have to have an encounter with Jesus Christ in order for something like this to bother us. You have to be a Christian. There has to be a point in time in your life where you recognize that you're a sinner, separated from a holy God because you have sinned against him. And there's no way you can make it right. You've got to realize that Jesus came down to this earth thousands of years ago to live the perfect life that you and I couldn't live in order to store that relationship with God. He died on a cross, didn't he? But praise the Lord, he didn't stay dead, did he? He rose again on the third day. That's the good news of the gospel. And if you're willing to turn from your sin and recognize the false worship in your life and run to Jesus and give him your life, you can have an encounter with Jesus. He will forgive your sins, restore that relationship with God, and then, then you'll have a passion to worship him. And it will start bothering you if you start seeing other things going on around you. But it was a personal encounter. And then God put Paul in his seminary. You're like, where was that seminary at? Oh, it was in the desert. For several years, Paul was learned and trained and talked to God. It was a moment that he had to use in his life to shape him for what he had planned for him. So he spent time with God. The, the passion developed more fully at that, that point. The same in the life of a believer. When we spend time with God in prayer and in the word, that should grow our passion for him, to know him, to make him known. We spend time with our great God. It does something in our hearts first before it even turns into to actions. And that's what, exactly what happened to Paul. And that's exactly what can happen to everybody in this room today. We served in South Asia uh, at the end of last year. And, and I remember a story. There was a, there was a young man there. That he, he got to tell us his story. And it was an amazing story. Come from a Hindu background. Had worshipped, uh, there was 21 different gods really in his backyard right next to his house. They were faithfully worshipping those gods. That's all he knew. Um, and his mother became sick uh, to the point of death. And we know in God's providence what he said was a church planner happened to be in the area, a Christian. Happened to talk to them, pray over his mom, and days later she ended up getting well. That got their attention. So then the mother ends up learning about the message of Jesus, becomes a Christian, and then he, as well, learns about faith in Jesus, and he becomes a Christian. He had an encounter with Jesus. Didn't know about him before, worshiped many gods. And then we're standing in this man's house, listening to his story, and he has 32 people gathering in his little house right there. Um, every week they gather together, right in the middle of a, of a hostile Hindu village. And we talk to him, and he says he's planted six churches in neighboring villages. We're like, wow. And then we said, how can we pray for you, David? He said, listen, pray for me that we can reach thousands of Hindus for Jesus no matter what it takes. It's his exact words. And I just sat there and I was like, what's my vision? That's kind of what, it, when you go on missions and you, you serve God, you get challenged. And so at that point, I was challenged. What am I praying for? But the point is, he had such an encounter with Jesus and that he knew that these people around him, it wasn't okay for them to be worshiping these 21 gods, these 21 idols all the time. It wasn't okay. And today he has a house church right beside that area. And so now I remember it all the time. I think about him worshiping in there and the false gods. And we pray that the message of the gospel will continue around that village and around the world. But that's a passion that he had, a burden that he had to do something. 
And he's, and he's doing it. God's empowering him to do it. So how do we see Clarksville, Tennessee? That's the question. What are the things that really bother myself and what bother us? We too live in a community smothered with idols, idolatry. We don't think of it like that because sometimes we don't see the statues where people worship. We just go along our lives. Tony Merida, who's a pastor that I listen to occasionally, he, he, he says this, an idol is anything to which we turn when we need something only Jesus can provide. Idols are not just statues worshiped at shrines. They are substitute gods and functional saviors that supplant the true and living God in the human heart. Idols can take the form of the need for peer approval even, the relentless pursuit of success and money, pleasure, all-consuming allegiance to a sports team, to the pursuit of education, or maybe an, an obsession with an individual person. It can take on any of those forms. Idolatry can, because we're asking people to provide something only Jesus can provide. And we start having affections and worshiping those things other than the holy God. And so it's around us here in Clarksville. We don't have to travel. We, we should travel to other places, but we don't have to travel very far to look in this room or outside and say, man, there's some idols set up here that, that we need to deal with, that God's not getting honored. And so we need to look and say, there's work to do in our own community as well. Uh, they need Jesus. We need Jesus. And so the question is, are you and I grieved over ver- these various forms of, of idolatry? Or are we just grieved over the, when I see the statues? That grieves me. But when I see things in my life or other things, are we grieved over those things? Have we stopped enough time to look around, really? Say, Lord, let me see what you're seeing. We're so busy. I'm busy too. And we don't take the time just to look out there and say, what's out there in our city? And just look and let God give us a burden and a strategy. See, passion for the worship of our great God is ultimately given to us by God. That's how it works. I don't drum it up in myself. When I have a burden, when you have a burden, when we get a burden, it actually comes from him. And then we're mobilized to action because he has to give us those things through his word and through prayer. Chuck Kelly says, our problem in evangelism is, evangelism is not really methodology. You know, that's 10% of it. We have plans. We have plans to share the gospel. A lot of it's 90% is motivation or passion or or an opportunity to do it. Um, So today, let's ask God to continually change our hearts and lives, to be passionate, to be zealous about his worship that he's due. Start there. That's where it started with Paul. Secondly, we see, what does it take to make the unknown God known? A strategy that guides us to proclaim the greatness of God. There needs to be a strategy that guides us to proclaim the greatness of God. And you saw in Paul's life, as we read there, um, he has a strategy in there. Verses 17 and 18, look what he did. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshiped God, as well as in the marketplace every day. So Paul had a strategy. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going where I am today. And that's exactly what he did until he waited for Silas and Timothy to join him on the way to Corinth. He started with where he was. And so he had a strategy there and it, he put his zeal and emotion into action. Because it's got to take action. Can't just stop with a burden. It's got to turn into action. And that's exactly what happened in Paul's life. You see, he was already in a different country. He was in Greece on his way to Corinth. But he would hit in the synagogues with the Jews, to talk to them about, hey, this is the Messiah that you're looking for. It's Jesus. So we'd stop in all the synagogues right there. And then he went to the marketplace where there are no uh, believers. And he was sharing with people, looking for opportunities to do that. And God was giving him opportunities in so much that they brought him to Mars Hill, which is an area in Athens where they, where they, they debated these things and talked about it. A big group of them did that. 
So when we think about strategy, the what of strategy here is a verbal gospel witness. The what is a verbal gospel witness. We have to give a verbal witness about who Jesus is and and what he does. Did you notice in verse 20? Look at it. Paul says, what, or they say, what you say sounds strange to us. What you say. He's using his words. He's communicating to them something. It's so important to live a life for Jesus. Absolutely. We should live moral lives that look like Jesus. But we have to go to the next step and say something about him, about why do we do this and who is Jesus? Why do we live for him? And that's what Paul is doing. He turns it verbal and he says it to them. And if you were looking at verse 18 and 31, he talks about the resurrection of Jesus. Because they said, this guy's a babbler. He's talking about a resurrection and Jesus. That was the center point of his message is the resurrection of Jesus. He has some good news to tell them. And that's what we have. Same news that changes lives then, changes lives today. And it centers on the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul was saying that. It was a very specific message. He didn't leave them wondering about that. He was telling them exactly what it was. Well, look what he said in verses 22 in, in Acts chapter 17. I want to read a few more verses here. Verse 22 says, Paul stood in the middle of the Aragopas and said, People of Athens... I see that you are extremely religious in every aspect. For as I was passing through and observed the object of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives life and breath and all things. From one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and their boundaries of where they live. He did this so that why? They may seek God. And perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Since we are his offspring, then we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. You see what Paul did? Four C's right here. First of all, he connected with people on common ground. Did you notice that? He said, listen, I see you're very religious. I notice I'm seeing the idols. I'm looking at it. I'm seeing there's a need that you have. I see, in fact, a statue that says to the unknown God right here. And then he bridges it and say, let me tell you about that unknown God. So he's looking for common ground. Like I said, we're all made to worship. We all need hope. All these are common themes as Christians. Everyone has this living. Everyone has those needs to be met. And it can only be met in Jesus. And so here we have to connect and ask people, hey, do you have spiritual beliefs? What is your ultimate longing and hope in? There's lots of things we could ask to try to get some common ground. Just begin a conversation. And secondly, we need to center our witness on the character of God. Did you notice his witness was on the character of God? He talked about God as creator in verse 24. He talked about God as the sustainer of life in verse 25. He talked about God as knowable in verse 27. He talked about God as holy, as we sang about in verse 29. He talked about God as judge and rescuer in verse 30. He was going down and talking about who God is, giving that verbal witness about who God is. It's exactly what we need to do. Focus our conversations on who is God. Most people don't know. 
and, and come from the Bible and, and, and show the folks that. Thirdly, call people to repentance of faith and sin in Jesus. We have to call people to action. That's what Paul did. He said the message clearly about the resurrection. And in verse 30, he says, God commands all people everywhere to what? Repent. He threw it out there. And what repentance means is changing your mind. You're going one direction about your thoughts and your affections and you realize you're wrong and then you turn around and you're going the other direction. That's what repentance is. Change of mind that changes your actions and your heart. Paul calls them to that. He says, you need to change. All these gods you're worshiping, you can't worship those anymore. And some places you go in the world when they worship thousands of gods, you have to be careful when you share the gospel because some people will be tempted, oh, I'll just add them to all the other ones I have. That's what they were doing. The unknown God, just in case they missed one, because they didn't want to offend a God. So you can have people that will add gods to their collection. But we have to say, no, no, no. We're saying Jesus is the only true and living God, and you have to turn from all gods and follow Jesus. That's the difference. We have to make that clear in our culture today. We're calling him to one God. One. Not many. You have to give everything, follow God. And then... Number four, the fourth C, is count on various responses. Guys, we know this. You know this. There's going to be various people who are going to respond various ways. Even to Paul. Paul was anointed. He was preaching the word. And he had people that ridiculed him. They were curious. And some people believed. It's going to be all over the place. That's up to God. We share the message faithfully. He does the work in the hearts. And he's got to do that part of it. But we'll be ridiculed. We'll be looked at as, that's kind of weird. I've never heard that before. Why would a man down across 2,000 years ago... We have to share the message and let God open the eyes. That's the difference. And that's what Paul was, was doing here. You might say, well, how do we do that? I'm glad you asked because on March the 19th, right here at First Baptist, we're going to have a gospel conversation training from 12 to 4. Okay, on March the, the 19th, just in the other building here. Sign up for that online. Let us know. We're going to come in there and talk about how do we share the gospel with people. We're going to practice it. And we're going to go out in the neighborhoods and do that. So I want to encourage you to take a look. And, and all of us are in this together. You know, we're, we're in this together. So take advantage of that. Another piece of strategy is the where. Everywhere. Go everywhere. Um, Paul was doing that. In Acts 1.8, we know that he says, You will receive power from the Spirit, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and the ends of the earth. Everywhere. That's what he's asking us to do. And here at First Baptist, we look to be on mission through an Acts 1-8 grid. That's kind of what we look at. So what that means is this. We're looking, God, how do you want us to minister in our Jerusalem, which is Montgomery County, right? There's around 234,000 people in the area. About 87% of people aren't in this building today. 87%, it's a lot. And so we have lots of work to do in our own community. So absolutely, we look at our Jerusalem and say, "What, what can we do? And that's why we have good news clubs going on in the afternoons in local schools, a Rise to Read program, Kirkwood Church, which is a replant, First Baptist. You have Good Samaritan Ministries right on the corner here. They're looking to minister to the needs, the physical needs of folks, and then share gospel news with folks. So we have all of these elements and looking for ways that you guys can serve and we can serve together uh, on mission here in our Jerusalem. Then there's Judea, which is Tennessee. And that's why we consider partnerships with refugees in Nashville. You saw in the video those areas that we can serve cross-culturally right here. Uh, we need to be looking at ways to, to, God, how do you want us to step into that? There's a prison ministry. Brother Bill Graham and folks help lead that. Uh, minister to those in, in prison in Tennessee. Very important to do that when we can. Samaria, which is our North America. Lots of work to be done there. And the nations, international work. 
You know, you guys have sent out groups from our church lately to, to areas like South Asia, Middle East, going to be Brazil, Mexico, Africa. These are areas that we're all involved in. That we're saying, God, we want to go internationally because there's folks that need to hear there as well. And everyone in this room helps make that possible with our strategy. Then the how. Well, how do we do this? There's a process at First Baptist, and here's the process. How do we seek to share Jesus everywhere? What does that look like? Number one, we have to pray. Pray is the first thing. Before Jesus turned his followers loose to make disciples of all nations, what did he tell them to do? Wait and pray. That's exactly what he told them to do. And so we need to have a prayer strategy. And Jesus knew that his disciples needed something outside of themselves. They needed power from him in their life. So he says, you need to pray and wait. And once that power of the spirit comes in your life, go to all the nations. And that's what he tells them. And that's exactly what we need. Prayer is vital to see Revelation 7, 9 fulfilled. And if you don't know what Revelation 7, 9 says, it talks about the throne room of God and how every tribe, tongue, language, and nation will be worshiping Jesus there. Well, that's happening because prayers that God opened the eyes of the hearts, give us opportunities and then show us what we need to do. We want intentional prayer for missions here at our church. Connect groups, okay, your family worship times, whatever that looks like in your life, your home. You can go to our missions page on our website and you can go under prayer, under missions part of it. And you can see links. It has, it has weekly links that are updated from our North American Mission Board and our International Mission Board. It has prayer requests of missions all over the world. You can pick one. Let me pray for that this week. My family, we're going to pray over that one this week. There's ways you can look and start praying. If you found out a need here in Clarksville, begin praying for that in your family. Just be intentional in your life as well as mine. And we want to do that as a church better. We want to be better at that. Say, Lord, we want to do this. So go there and look. March 26th, you'll know that we're going to have a week of prayer for North American missions. So that's coming up. You'll see the brochure here. You'll be able to pray that week for North American missions. For God, would you do a work in North America? Because we need it. You'll see that coming out soon. So pray. Then we educate the second piece. We desire for all of us to do, to have a better understanding of what is missions locally and globally. What is it? There's a lot of misconceptions about what it is. What is missions? What is a missionary? Who is Annie Armstrong? Who is Lottie Moon? We hear these words a lot. Uh, what is the cooperative program, the Southern Baptist Convention? These are all things that we want to educate us all better. Like, what is that? How does that work in Southern Baptist life? How do we make an impact through our prayers and giving? And, and we want to uh, have, have a better plan for that. So be looking for short-term studies. If you want to know, well, what is our church doing? We have quarterly church conferences here on Wednesday nights. And then a lot of times we'll share those specific things about here's what, how God's been working in Clarksville or here's how God's been working international. We'd be happy to speak to you anytime you want about what are we doing as a church and how can we help? Love to have that conversation because it's going to take all of us. God has all of us in this room today because people need to be reached. It's not just me, Pastor Ronnie, my wife, anybody. It's all of us has gifts and abilities. Okay, all of us do. So we need to go with number three. What's, so we pray, we want to educate a little better around here. We want to go locally, nationally, whatever opportunities are there. We want to go. Um, Paul Chitwood, who is the president of the International Mission Board, who spoke here uh, several months ago, he, 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 quote, he said, the greatest problem in the world is spiritual lostness. You remember him saying that? It's true. It's biblical. The only solution to this spiritual lostness is the gospel of Jesus. Don't, the only thing, that's all we need. All we need. Jesus said, pray for workers to be sent, to go 
we have to go. And we're, it's going to look differently for all of us. But we all have to be together and going. Whatever opportunities God has to provide, do it. Because when you go, I promise you, this, this will happen in your lives. Yes, it's nerve-wracking. Because you don't ever know what to expect. That's a lot, of, a lot of life, isn't it? Don't know who's behind that door. Don't know who we're going to serve. Leave that to God. We're just ready to serve and be prepared and let him speak in our lives. And you'll find this out. As you serve and you go, and you, and you, you'll find out you're going to be a blessing to people. You'll hear story after story saying this. You'll be, you, you get blessed. You will be blessed. God does a work in your life personally. You know, if you're, are you in a spiritual rut right now? Maybe you can't. Man, the Lord oftentimes uses these things in your life to get your focus off of your life serving other people a lot of times god uses that to pull us out of some spiritual ruts that we get caught into sometimes we start seeing things serving and he, and he uses that to, to, to kind of pull us out so look to look for those opportunities in fact uh, there's a short-term missions uh pamphlet that's in missions landing and online you can see there's opportunities locally and globally right there that's not all of them because a lot of your connect groups are doing great work in our community that i don't even know <laughs> keep doing that but if you're looking for opportunities organized to plug in take a look and see like lord are you calling us to something like this t- this year next year what is that but you can take a look online or, or look at the brochure right of the road there so number four send at first baptist we desire for god to call out long-term missionaries out of this congregation right here we want god to call you maybe me to go long-term for him not just a short-term trips but long-term meaning plant your lives there for several years we're asking god would you send people but a lot of times it takes the prayer, the education, the going piece. Um, I watched a, a service online the other day from our international mission board where they commissioned around 40 missionaries to go overseas. And I listened to their stories. And each one of them were saying, when I went on a short-term trip, and then they would say, it's just a piece of things. that God, And don't let that be a fear why you shouldn't go. <laughs> right? Well, if I go, then I'm going to be in Africa tomorrow. Maybe, maybe not. Let God do that. But so many people are saying, I'm going to step out. And once they did it, look what God did. So it's sending people out of our church. And number five is give. We, need, we do need the giving piece in missions. We need to give. Uh, mission work requires financial funding from God's people to invest locally, globally, eternal impact. All of it. Um, and our World Missions Fund that you guys might be aware we have in there... Uh, just recently, we've been able to send our church, you guys have been able to send 3,000 Bibles, so you heard us say this, into a Middle Eastern country that just doesn't have Bibles, okay? We've been able to train over 200 uh, leaders in South Asia, right? Good news clubs uh, in Rossview, one started at Burke. There's equipment that goes into that stuff. Our World Missions Fund, it comes from that, earthquake relief. And so when we're giving like this, it's enabling things to happen. Um, and, and if you want to know how that works, we'd love to tell you about how that is. But the giving piece is important. You hear about Annie Armstrong coming up to offering for North American missions. You'll hear about Lottie Moon, who's in our, uh, you can see a life-size, what, four foot three Lottie Moon, who God used her in a powerful way. You'll hear her for international missions. It's talking about giving towards uh, supporting all of our missionaries. Did you know there's over 10,000 Southern Baptist missionaries in North America and internationally that get supported through our giving, our budget, and our cooperative program giving, and world missions giving? Over 10,000. Just think of the impact that's going to make in the kingdom. We won't know on this side of heaven. We trust the Lord. We give and try to make sure it's done right, responsibly, right? Being good stewards. But you say, Lord, you take care of it. And I can't wait to see and celebrate in heaven with all those people, right? Different tribes and nations and tongues and languages. Celebrate you, Jesus. If you give us a small part in that, hallelujah, right? It's, It's a great thing. But giving is a huge piece at our church on that. 
So lastly, I'll wrap up with this. What does it take to make the unknown God known? It makes, takes a heart that is zealous for the worship of God. That's passion. It takes a strategy that guides us to proclaim the greatness of God. It's a plan. And lastly, a power that is given to us by God. We can't do it on our own, can we? Absolutely not. I don't, I don't care who is in this building. If Jesus is not in this building in our lives, we're not doing it. So he's the one. Do you remember in Acts 1.8? But you will receive power once the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Paul needed that power. There's no way Paul could have done this right here without Jesus' power in his life. There's no way we can do it without his power in his life. We've got to remember that. Ephesians 3.16 says, Paul says this, I pray that he, meaning God, may grant you according to his riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit. There it was. God provides what we need. We need him in our lives. So we need to seek him on, on those terms. So are you and I asking and relying on the power that only God provides? Or am I looking at my little life and saying, Jason, what do you got in there? What can you do? Because that's discouraging. I look inside of my life, I'm thinking, I'm not doing that. There's no way. But if I'm looking at it and saying, Jesus, you're in my life. Your spirit is there. And you want me to do this, God? Give me the power. We can do this because of him. And he gets the glory, doesn't he? If it was up to me and you and our strength, we would get the glory. So anything spiritual that happens is because of God. And that's a good, good, good thing to rest in, right? And just think about the opportunity that all of us have to make the unknown God known. You have that opportunity. I have that opportunity right here all over the world. Let's take that. Let him use you and, uh, and, and trust and rely on him. We can't wait to see what he's going to do here at First Baptist and just in the days ahead there. So let's pray as we go into a time of invitation. Father, we're thankful for your word today. God, um, thank you for giving us your scriptures. We can read about Paul and just uh, his adventure here. Lord, where you're at the center of that adventure. And Lord, he's, he's telling people about you. And Lord, we need to tell people about you. God, help us not to wait until we have everything figured out in our lives and we know all the answers because, Lord, we'll never go. I'll never go if that's the case. But help us to continually learn and grow and know you, Lord, and just take the opportunities that you provide. And you'll equip us as we ask questions and we seek the answers, Lord. And as you bow your heads, there might be somebody here tonight, today, that you said, you know what? I don't have a zeal for the worship of God. Maybe that's because you're not a believer. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and said, I want to follow you. Would you change me like Paul? If that's you, then we want to encourage you to come forward during an invitation and tell one of us. Or afterwards, you can catch us at the end. Or maybe you're here and you're a believer and you say, you know what? I, I know I'm a Christian, but I, I just, I'm struggling in that area. I just don't really have a desire to do that. And tell God that. He knows. <laughs> ask him, tell him, uh, and, and ask him to grow you in that area. Are you praying and looking for ways to actively be on this mission for Jesus? Pray through those. Look. Are you looking to your own power to be on mission for Jesus? Maybe you're looking at your own self, and that's why you're not going, because you're too weak. And that's correct. You are too weak. So am I. We need him. Give that to him today. So if you're lost, don't know the Lord, you need prayer. Maybe you're not having been baptized. Maybe you are a Christian, and you said, I have not followed the Lord in believer's baptism yet. Well, come forward. We wanted you to encourage you to follow him in believer's baptism. Maybe you want to join First Baptist here to, to be a partner with the work that's going on. Then please let us know. 
Whatever God's doing in your lives, we want to invite you to respond to him at this time and afterwards. So I'll pray and then I'm stepping down. Father, thank you for the time we have together to worship you, Lord. You're worthy of all of our worship, God. And we just pray that today, whatever you're doing in our lives, we would take that next step that you're calling us to, Lord Jesus. You're worth it no matter what it is. So just do your good work in and through all of our lives, Lord Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.